Tick, 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 ding. Tick, 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 ding. Tick, 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 ding, ding, ding. Smart dribble time. That's what that dinging is, John. It's not a typewriter. Well, it sounded like a typewriter, which is particularly appropriate start because, Kurt, we're going to talk about some of the greatest innovations in business history, and the typewriter certainly needs to be one of them. Imagine having your own your own printing press. Throw along the copy machine, and you've got yourself a printing press. But you brought up a topic about the typewriter once upon a time that I think is I think is worth repeating. What is the longest English word that you can type only using the letters in the top row of the typewriter? It's the definition of irony, John. I thought irony was dead, Kurt. Typewriter. That is correct. How weird is that? <laughs> that the longest word you can type. I think they did that on purpose. Well, that's a lot of planning. Uh-huh. That's, that's a lot of the planning. Long game. Well, that's um if they did that on purpose, that is the all-time greatest Easter egg I have ever heard. Right? But imagine the top row on the typewriter, the longest word you can type is the word typewriter. Wow. Yeah. It's amazing. Right. So we're in. Yeah. So this is Kurt Schneider and I'm John Ellenthal. And we're taking you through another episode of Smart Dribble. As John said, today, and it kind of works because John and I were both in business for a very long time. I guess we kind of still are. Yeah, since we're both currently working, that we shouldn't tell anybody who we work with that we're no longer in business. <laughs> well, I can I can say it halfway. <laughs> All right. Well, you are, you are partially in business. <laughs> but the idea is throughout time, there's been some amazing inventions and innovations in business. And we're going to talk about them and give some of the history and just discuss them. And I think this is exciting as hell. That explains the excitement in your voice, Kurt. Wow. You're being authentic. I'm going to start off with this because this is awesome. Okay. Some would say after the Industrial Revolution, there came into play a innovation and invention in business. And it was started or, or made popular by Henry Ford. I'm talking about the assembly line, right? To be able to go and crank through beforehand, artisans would make each part of the whatever they were making and then have to put them together. This was no, no, no. One part, go. One part, go. You do the same part over and over again. Everyone has just one part they need to do. They can be expert on it. And the speed and time goes up. But here's what's fascinating, John. It did not start with Henry Ford. First of all, the Chinese were doing it for centuries. The Chinese called it division of labor, and they used it for armor, they used it for weapons, and they used it for making China, which is kind of ironic, China making China. But- Well, that's a second example of irony in this episode. Here's what's really cool I found. In 1104, John, that's the 12th century, the Venetians started something called the Venetian Arsenal. It was basically a production line for ships. This is in 11... For ships? Yeah, in 1104. Basically, a ship would move down the canal. It would start basically just floating. And as it moved down the canal, it was fitted by the various trade shops that they passed with the different things it needed. By the early 16th century, 400 years before Henry Ford, 16,000 employees of the arsenal could produce almost one complete ship every day. That's a lot and fast. That's the assembly line, but that's the assembly line started in 1104. I give you the assembly line, one of the greatest business inventions, and it wasn't Henry Ford. Well, I think the truth is the Chinese invented a lot of things that Europeans were later given or taken credit for inventing. I mean, look at the printing press. So everyone knows about Gutenberg. However, there's plenty of evidence that the Chinese had invented printing 
hundreds of years, also known as centuries earlier. Now, what the Chinese didn't invent, which is why many people think that Gutenberg did indeed invent the printing press, is they didn't figure out how to bind books. So a lot of the stuff that they printed was loose and didn't survive. But in any event, the Chinese absolutely invented printing. It's because they didn't have that pace that George's wife, Susan, had or fiance had in uh, Seinfeld. No, that's when she the, she was licking the uh, the wedding invitations and she, you know, she keeled over. Because he got the cheap ones. Uh, I didn't remember that part, but yeah. I did not like her. I don't think a lot of people did. So I think um, at least in a comedic context, it worked. So this is an episode where we're going back and forth and listening oh, so and talking about speak? stuff. So you're going to give me a business, great business invention. So let me say, let me just recap. We're going to do what we do in every single episode yes. of this podcast. We're going to have a conversation. Uh-huh. So the back and forth part, hang on, let me write that down. We're going to go back and forth. Okay, got it. Writing it down could be a business invention. Okay, well, I'm just going to put it on the typewriter, although not anymore. So I will give you a business invention that I don't know that it makes the list, most people's list, but it absolutely should. Let me say it differently. It absolutely positively should. So back in the early 70s, Fred Smith started a company called Federal Express, now called FedEx. And like most origin stories, there's some wonderful little aspects to it. So Fred Smith had written about an express delivery company that used a hub and spokes distribution system for like his Yale business class. Didn't do too well on it, did he? Professor gave him a C and he launched the business in the early 70s. It was really difficult for a while, but ultimately... FedEx and its ability to reliably deliver documents overnight was absolutely, or again, absolutely positively, a giant invention in business, completely changed expectations and uh, was a real leap forward. Obviously, the internet then came along and off you go. But I could see how that would be met with a little bit of scrutiny because you're going to do what? And you're going to be able to go overnight and guarantee it a little, even if someone wanted to send a tiny little package. Yep. So the whole thing there, I guess, was getting it to enough of these hubs, these distribution centers, right? And having enough go to certain. Well, actually when they started and for many, many years, there was only one distribution center. Everything went to Memphis, Tennessee. So all the planes came in every night, everything was offloaded, everything was sorted figured out where it was going, planes were reloaded and off they went. So it was a hub in spokes. Now there are whole hubs all over the world, but back then, one. All right. That's a great one. Thank you very much. Yeah, that's very good. It's absolutely positively a great one. Well, I, Do you I, get I, it? I see what you're doing because it was the original commercials. When it absolutely positively has to be there. So that's a great segue to what I'm going to tell you because that's a great commercial, right? Yes. We don't usually engage in this thing called segues, Kurt, but let's give it a try. See if we like it. I think a great business invention was one that was came to its height in the 60s and 70s. Pot. The three martini lunch. You think it survived into the 70s? Yep. I think it was 50s, 60s, and 70s, but mostly 60s and 70s. And why is that a good segue? Because it was mostly in the advertising industry and they used to say it boosted all their creativity in the afternoon. So that's where you came up with plop, plop, fizz, fizz. Oh, what a relief it is. In the afternoon after a three martini lunch. Was that the one where you pointed out that the whole idea behind plop, plop using two Alka-Seltzer tablets was an effort to double sales? Yeah. Because I think one tablet would have done the job, but plop, 
fizz isn't nearly as much fun as plop, plop, fizz, fizz. And the guy I'm sure had a three martini lunch. So I give you best, one of the greatest business inventions of all time, the three martini lunch. If I, <laughs> if that were the current business climate or the climate over the last 30 some odd years, I would have three martinis at lunch. Yeah. I would be then carried out. Yeah. Hopefully deposited in a place where I could sleep through the entire afternoon. I would not be using that as a way to stimulate my creativity. If it makes you to feel any better. To stimulate my sleep, yes. If it makes you feel any better. The martinis back then were in smaller glasses. So oh. it's kind of like one and a half smaller? today. Oh, really? They were like three ounce martinis. Oh, inflation. Another example of where inflation has come in. And so, you know, I have martini glasses here that are six ounces. So you have two of those. That's 12 ounces. All right. Well, that makes me feel better. Maybe I could tolerate three martinis mm-hmm, and I wouldn't have to sleep. But listen, you know what? Obviously, Americans do believe in everything being Texas-sized or super-sized, which is certainly not the case around the world. So I mentioned- But you wouldn't have lasted after a three-martini lunch. If they were three full martinis, definitely not. I if would have been were, very creative. <laughs> if it were one and a half martinis using current martini glass standards, maybe, but no promises. So I mentioned the internet before, which of course, overnight documents, which still take place- Some documents need to be physical, but so e-commerce, hard to argue that hasn't had a profound effect on business. Nothing surprising about that. But what is surprising is when e-commerce really got started as a technical reality. And it goes all the way back to 1972. You and I were wide-eyed seven-year-olds. I thought you were going to say that's the pets.com, but that was like 99. Nope, 1972. E-commerce? Yep. The first e-commerce transaction, it used a technology called ARPANET, which is the predecessor yeah, right, of the internet. internet. So there was actually the first sale of something online using ARPANET was between students at Stanford and uh, students at MIT. And I don't know who sold to whom, but the first e-commerce item, marijuana. <laughs> really? Yeah, it was. <laughs> How good is that? Seriously? Yeah, it was the because it wasn't regulated, I guess. By it was I the think, wild, wild web. I don't wild, know that wild it west. was wild, wild web. I don't know if it was a lack of regulation or the fact that there were college students engaged in both sides of the transaction, and maybe they hadn't yet discovered the three martini lunch. If it makes you feel better, the marijuana back then not nearly as strong as it is exactly. Now. <laughs> you see, it was weaker back uh-huh. then, and the martinis were in uh-huh. smaller glasses, so you could be more of a imbiber and still be able to do your stuff. I could get stoned at lunch and be creative in the afternoon, but I think martinis would have a different impact on me. All right. Fair enough. All right. So e-commerce. Well, then let's get to... We've said nothing surprising so far. Okay. Right? I mean, e-commerce. How about that? The typewriter. How about that? Okay. Surprise me, Kurt. All right. I think the best business invention, one of of all times, next steps. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Well, uh, in the spirit of making forward progress, I think next steps are critical. At the end of a meeting, Kurt, are you the kind of meeting leader or attendee who makes it explicit to everybody what the next steps are and who owns the next steps and when those next steps need to be completed? I will not let a meeting go without next steps. So how come we don't end each podcast with an explicit discussion of next steps? Because it's not a meeting. We don't need to. But think about next steps, right? Whoever said the next step 
is to remember how we made this wheel and tell all the others before some woolly mammoth ate them was genius. That's true because they actually invented the wheel many, many, many millennia before. But since no one had articulated the next steps, it was chaos. Uh And they had to keep literally reinventing the wheel. Exactly. Exactly. And the same guy who did fire, it's like, next steps. Which one of these stones went against this thing called flint? Which one is the thing that makes a spark? Let's put that down. But you actually said something, which gets to me. When you said actually, what is that, that, that always sort of is a red flag for me when you actually said something. Like there's an element of surprise. It is too. No, it was not surprise. It was actually in that it was a perfect segue. Again, we're doing the segue uh-huh. thing. Oh my God, we're evolving. Because you talked about the business meeting, which Next Steps comes out of. I think the business meeting is simultaneously one of the best. You want to use that word again? Simultaneously? Simultaneously. Is at the same time, one of the best and one of the worst business inventions of all time. No, because coterminous means it ends together. Do you not usually end the meeting for everybody at the same time? No, but what I mean is a business meeting is a great invention because it gets everyone together to figure out something out. That's a, that's great, but it's also a colossal waste of time. Well, I can't imagine there is an activity in business that consumes more time of more people every day than meetings, much of which are wasted. So typically, there is not a clear purpose for a meeting. There are not clear roles. There are not clearly articulated next steps. And my theory about meetings has always been that every meeting ever scheduled could have been completed in half the time. So do you think there's a lot of vamping going on before? Like when people are struggling and coming in late, straggling, I mean, and there's all this sort of talking about. Sure. I think you fill the time you've got. And for I some reason. you'd be actually great at that. You'd probably be the best filler of time before a meeting starts ever. Yes, I'm a human time sponge. Thank <laughs> you. Sure, no, but, not time sponge, but I think you'd crack people up for it. But here's the thing. For some reason, and I'm generalizing, of course, the atomic unit of a meeting in business is 30 minutes. We don't seem to do less than or fewer than 30 minutes, but plenty of meetings could be five minutes. Plenty of meetings could be 15 minutes. And every meeting that takes 30 minutes could be completed in 15. And if you use the greatest business invention of all time and have next steps, then you know what's happening. You can get, because sometimes you're in a meeting to then have a meeting, to think about a meeting, to have another meeting. I think you're right about next steps. You could have a 15 minute, instead of a 30 minute meeting, you could have a 15 minute meeting and then your next steps could be immediately to have another 15 minute meeting. (laughs) That's why it's simultaneously. Yes, I'm using it again. The best and worst invention. Simultaneously. How do you pronounce it? Simultaneously. You got a little bubble going on in there, but I can't quite figure out what it is you're saying that's different. Oh, it's Austrian. I'm doing the Austrian version. They remove the L. Okay, fair enough. It comes out of Salzburg. Let's not talk simultaneously. Why don't you say something? Comes out of Salzburg. Are you going to give us one of those segues you like to talk about? Yes. Okay, what's your segue? Do you have a great business invention you'd like to talk about? I do, and I'm going to go back to many way back. I'm going to go in the way back machine. Okay. We're talking multiple millennia BC, one of the most significant inventions, not just of business, but I guess it is business. And that is the invention of money. Money. Money, 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 money. Because think about before there was money, the only way to trade goods was to barter. I'll give you my chicken if you give me firewood, perhaps. Okay, fair enough. 
But then how would I give you change? What if your chicken was well, that's worth the whole more? deal? You've got to figure out how there is a fair exchange of goods. And in the absence of money. And if you were to cut part of your chicken up to give it to me, the other half wouldn't be any good. So you'd lose. Well, it depends what your plans were for that chicken. If you wanted to make a lot of eggs and you had to cut the chicken in half to make it a fair deal, you got a problem. If you so were going to you eat overpaid. the chicken, I think we were talking simultaneously there. So- in any event, it did limit commerce, right? Because you had to have things of things of equal value. And where, with you all the time. Exactly, or accessible. And then money comes along, and suddenly you have this universal currency thing that everybody can have that has an intrinsic value that can be exchanged. Now, what's crazy about it is the early money was actually did have intrinsic value. So if you were giving somebody a coin and it was minted of whatever, stone, Silver. it had the value of whatever went into making that coin. So fast forward from 3000 BC to, you know, about a thousand, what's after BC? CE, common era. Uh-huh. What about AD? Anno Domini, that's year of our Lord. So that's why we now say CE. Okay, so paper money comes along. And not only is that much more convenient. But it doesn't have any intrinsic value. Right, that's the big, I mean, suddenly. That's a leap. The value was no longer. leap. Yeah, the value was a bit more abstract, yeah. right? It wasn't intrinsic at all. So forget the metallurgical value. Now it's this abstraction. God. But just think how much easier it is to carry around paper money as opposed to some giant stone or bundle of metals. You're going from Belazquez to Pollock there, right? I mean, you're going from- Those are from, two artists, right? And they're very different. Well, Belazquez was painted beautiful paintings, looked exactly like- Oh, this like is a point about abstraction. Person. Yes, whereas Pollock was abstract expressionism. But just think, I mean, before there was money, you could see how that would limit trade. Yeah. And then, you know, since money had to, you know, be this physical thing that was heavy and you could see how that would limit- and then along comes paper money. And now, of course, there is the credit card yeah. was the next big step. Yeah. And now, of course, we don't even need that. Because we have crypto. So when, when you think about how money has transformed over the millennia, BFD, Kurt, BFD. By the way, have I ever told you about I went to the island of Yap? I don't think so. Where is the island in of Yap? In the Pacific. And is it in the South Pacific? It's in the South Pacific. Uh-huh. And I, I'm getting sort of a tangy sweet sauce feel. You know, what's interesting is- Me. Oh, you said what's interesting. I thought you said, you know, who's interesting. <laughs> oh, no. So Yap was this tiny island. I'm doing this for a reason. I'm telling you this because- Oh, I never doubted that. In the early 70s, they still had the stone money. And outside of their houses, people would have these huge stone. They couldn't move it, but there was a hole in the middle. That was money. Yeah, that's cool. And, and when you think about- why we needed money. So if you go way back again in the way back machine, when we started to get really good at agriculture, mm -hmm. which is obviously how we feed ourselves, we started to create excess for the first time. It wasn't just you grew it, you ate it. You started to need to store uh -huh. your extra and you'd go put this stuff in a, a store. That's a, where we got the word for the no, store. In some uh. sort of storage place <laughs> and you'd need a receipt. And suddenly there was excess that you could trade and I think in part because we had evolved so much our agricultural technique, it created the need for some sort of system for us to exchange value. And to take it one step further, 
in the you're big into next steps in what in like the 12th century during the Crusades BC AD CE did we just spell typewriter <laughs> one word during the Crusades the first sort of trans country bankers or international bankers were the Knights Templar ah. Because That's right. people were going on the crusade and they didn't want to take their money with them. So they'd put it in the hands of the Knights Templar who would give them a receipt saying, we're holding this for you. This is good for when you come back to right. get it. And sometimes they would give them the new money in the new place. But guess what happened to a lot of these people? What happened to them? They died. And who got to keep all their the money? The Knights Templar. Who then became? The Pope. The richest people in the world, which pissed off the Pope. And the king of France. So what did they do? They conspired and what did they do? They did bad things to the Knights Templar. They murdered them all. And that's why we have all these Dan Brown books. When did it, what date was the date they got murdered? I don't know. And I feel like I should. Friday the 13th. Get out. Nah, that's why it's bad luck. Really? Mm-hmm. But I thought we established at one point that Friday the 13th in, it doesn't mean the same thing across different cultures. Like there are other cultures where Friday the 16th is like when things get crazy. So did they have a different attitude to work? Was it a multi-day massacre? It was one day and it was in Western civilization where Friday the 13th is bad. And that's why we have this bad day today because the Pope and the King of France got together and said, these guys are too powerful, killed them all. Wow. And then who took their money? The Pope and the King. Wow. There Are they go. any different than Knights Templar in that regard then? No, they're not. So this raises an interesting thing. Dan Brown. Because One we're, we've been talking a lot about money. And we went from, you know, we went to paper money. We can, you know, obviously that facilitated a lot of commerce. And then there was this thing called interest, right? Mm-hmm, and that mm-hmm. was radical because suddenly you could spend more than the money you had. You could borrow money and you pay interest for it. So suddenly we started to get leverage off of our money and that stimulated a lot more economic activity. And then Gordon Gecko was born. Greed is good. Yeah. And that takes us back to last week's episode. And we did not list that line when we talked about the best, most famous was like the top 100 lines from movies, according to the American Film Institute. We did not say greed is good. Nor did we say badges, badges. We don't need those stinking badges. Sierra Madre and Animal House. Sierra Leone. Sierra Leone. I, I think. Leone. You know what? Maybe the treasure of the Sierra Leone or Sierra Madre. Yeah, you're right. You know, I don't think in, I don't think Gordon Gecko literally said greed is good. I think it was like that. You know, like we talked about play, play it again, Sam. Yeah. I think it was slightly different. I would like to give you another great business invention, John. Okay. This is the evolution and revolution in calculating numbers. This helped business go forward, especially when we became more, not only financial, but when we became more engineering specific, right? So let's start with a little history lesson here and timeline. 2700 BC, the Sumerians and the Egyptians, you know what was invented back then? Tell me the date again. 2700 BC. Beer. <laughs> well, yes. The abacus. Ah. Probably invented to pay for the beer or to, to count the beer and games. what are two of those things called? Abakai, of That's course. That's exactly right, which is a... Which is, was that your fraternity at Dartmouth, Abakai? (laughs) Yes, exactly. So that's 2,700. Not much happens in terms of evolution in the calculating things for, oh, 3,000 years or so. So we get to 1642. 
So when Columbus sailed the ocean blue, but that was 1492. 2700 plus 1642. And our main man, Pascal, invents the adding machine. Yes, because we needed a system to deal with all this money. You, you know, suddenly all this money's flowing and you can't just go be doing math on That's a piece of paper. That's what I'm saying. And credit. That you doesn't want- scale. That doesn't scale. It's and, exactly right. And then how can you figure out what the interest is on that and what it's going to be? You so need then, some serious machines. So that's 1642. Also in the 17th century, something that- You're showing off now because you always know if it's like the 1600s, it's the <laughs> 17th century. And sometimes I mess that up and a lot of people mess it up. But you're really proud of your ability to do that, yeah, aren't yeah, you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So also in the 17th century, yeah. in 1625, the Reverend Chugtred, no, Utred, Oftred, I can't pronounce it. Can you say it simultaneously? <laughs> invented the slide rule. Ooh, However, that was a great toy. Did you have one as a kid? I did not. I didn't. I still don't know how to use it. Oh, a slide rule. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know how to use one either. What were you thinking? A slide. The slip and slide. What was the uh, big dance, the something slide in the 70s? Wasn't there a dance called the electric the, slide? That's it. Yeah, <laughs> that's it. So, so he invents the the slide rule, but it doesn't take on to the mid eighteen hundreds when some French artillery officer standardized it, and the slide rule then stayed as the thing that people use that more than anything else because we talked about this in a previous episode. Is it time for the calculator to get to the moon? They use the slide rule. Right. They actually used calculators. Well, I'm sorry, they use computers, except computers they meant that were, as, were humans. What was that movie a couple of years yeah, right. ago? That and, woman who didn't get enough credit for her role in all yeah, that. But yeah. the slide rule, and they actually even took a slide rule when we put the men on the moon on your famous mission, Apollo 13. That's my famous mission. In yes. 1970. Little do they know that I was part of the cargo of <laughs> Apollo. So Gordon Gecko literally actually verbatim said, greed, for lack of a better word, is good. He also said, greed is right greed works. But I don't know if he ever says greed is good, just like Humphrey Bogart never says, play it again, Sam. I just wanted to close that out. Just like Frankenstein is not the monster. Oh, right. Good point. Frankenstein's monster is the monster because Frankenstein is the doctor. So, I mean, what do you like better? Frankenstein, Mary Shelley's Frankenstein or or Mel Brooks, (laughs) young Frankenstein? Frankenstein. You got to go to Igor. <laughs> Igor, you know, I'm quite an accomplished surgeon. I can help you with that hump. Amp? What amp? Walk this way. So, anyway, that's such a great movie. I'm going to finish this. And then we go oh, to the doubt it. programmable computer in 1837. First programmable computer automated 1837. And then we get the calculator, the personal calculator, Texas Instruments, 1967. So I just took you from 2700 BC to 1967 all in calculations. I can feel the G-forces, but I can't calculate them because I don't know how to do that. And me, I couldn't anyway with any of these things. I remember bringing a calculator to elementary school thinking, oh my God, this is like going to change everything back when it, you know, when it became so affordable that every kid could have like a few dollar calculator. Yeah. How cool is that though? That's cool. You would get them if you did like a remortgaged your house, they would give you a pocket calculator. So, but the big thing was, were you ever one of those people in high school and college that could use the Texas instrument? Was not a person who could do that. Me neither. I still don't know how to use those things. So you, the there's a reason and you and I ones? went into marketing. The black and gold ones, right? Yeah. All did, these yeah. Things, oh, right? did you ever use TI? You know, yeah, no, exactly. Not, no idea. You and I are not engineers, but we also probably need to wrap up this episode. Okay. We can pick up this conversation another time because this is our podcast, but out of respect for our listeners, 
I do think we need to cut off today's conversation here. All right. Is there anything that you're dying to add that you're just dying to add? How did the yes, Xerox machine be more famous for copying butts than copying papers? Because people are people. <laughs> right. So that's what we did with a great business invention. You know what? <laughs> This is what we're like. In any event, maybe we'll pick this back up because there's obviously a lot to talk about here. But thank you for all this. And thank you to our listeners for joining us. Good segues, John. It's all about the segues and next steps. So I'm going to segue into our close where we're going to talk about next steps. Which is? Kurt and I will be back next week with another episode of Smart Drivel. Until then, we hope your life is filled with Smart Drivel. Thank you. Ciao, everyone. Bye-bye. 